Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Too kind, too kind. Have a seat, have a seat. Hey, uh, it, is, uh, it is always an honor to be here. I'm thinking about getting an apartment here. I'm here so much. Um, if y'all want to chip in for that, that'd be cool. Um, hey, uh, it's, it's always such an honor to, to be here at Red Rocks. And some of my dearest friends in the world uh, work here. So it's, uh, man, like Doug said, it's, it's, it's like I'm a home family. It's like a second home to me. And um, I, I'm so excited about this series um, because there's so many things going on in our world that I believe that the answer to some of the biggest problems is if men of God would rise up. And um, when I sit and talk with, with young adults and, and we're getting coffee and we're talking through um, issues, uh, the new question that I've been asking people is, just because I'm, I'm curious what some of the common denominators are, I ask them all the same question now. How many positive male figures are in your life that are men of God? Nine times out of 10, they say none. Or they say, um, they've all left. They've all abandoned me. If I had everyone stand back up and I said, hey, have a seat. If, um, if, if, if you uh, don't have both parents married. And, and if I went down the list and we just kind of dwindled it down and said, okay, how many of you, uh, your parents that are together, they love each other? Okay, how many of you, like the parents that love each other, they also love you? Uh, how many of you uh, also have those parents that that dad spent time with you and taught you something from the Bible? How many of you have somebody in your life, a male, a man, a man of God that has shown you what the Bible should look like? It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to see it. Um, I, I had the... Uh, wonderful privilege of growing up in Rockford. You hear me, Sean, and Chad talk about Rockford a lot. And uh, the interesting thing is, is I grew up with a, a bunch of Christians uh, at a private school called Christian Life. And what's interesting is, is a lot of them aren't living for God today, but they were then. And when I asked myself sometimes, man, what was the thing that was kind of, kind of missing? Because we, I heard all the same messages that they did. We had all of the same retreats, all of the same chapel services, all of the same youth group event, like all of the same things. And I'm going, what, what was the difference maker? And, it, and you know what it was? I had a front row seat to watch a man of God like Chad Brueggemann and Sean Johnson walk it out. Um, in fact, uh, Chad taught me how to pray and he didn't know that he taught me how to pray. We had a uh, we had morning prayer at the church. He, he was there for work. I was there for school. And it was optional for me. It wasn't optional for him. And so I, I would go in the sanctuary. And, and at moments where I didn't know how to pray, I would see Chad walking back and forth, like chopping demons in the air. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I'm like, man, that's how you pray. That's the man. And, like, and I'm in eighth grade learning how to pray. And I'm, I'm in pre-service prayer at, at, at my church in Dallas. And I find myself pacing and praying just super like a warrior. And I'm going, where did, where did this come from? I'm like, oh, I saw this. And, and here's the deal. Most people will tell you, you're going to need a mentor. You're going to need a man of God in your life to show you. And here's the deal. I can't actually do anything about that. But what I can do is I can teach you how to be the figure for somebody else. I can teach you how to change the next generation. I can teach you how to be the man of God today for somebody else. And somebody in here might have to go first. You might say, man, I never saw what it looked like to be a man of God. Go first. Pick up a shovel and be the pioneer, and you just go for it. And, and, and the Bible, when it talks about some of the most mightiest men of God, they talk about kings. And, and tonight, I, I want to look at, 
at two, two kings and some things that we can learn from them about what it really means to be a man of God. And ladies, maybe some things that you should look for when you are looking for a man of God. Um, the first thing I, I want to do is I, I want to go to this scripture uh, found in Peter uh, j- just, to, just to start us off. And the Bible says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The first thing that I I want you to get in your mind is that you're royalty, not because of something that you've earned, but because of something that's been given to you by what Jesus has done on the cross. And so part of it, of you stepping into what it means to be a man of God is going, well, let me think of it like royalty. How would a king behave, not a boy? And now we're going to look um, at a story uh, found in 2 Samuel, and this is um, a famous story of David and Bathsheba. And, and the Bible says this, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And that he saw from a roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Of course she was. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, took his girl. He bogus. Uh, And the woman conceived. And then the Bible says she sent David a text message and said, I am pregnant. (laughs) You don't don't want to get that text message from your girl like that. You You don't want that. Um, Tonight, I want to speak to you on the subject of mama knows best. Mama knows best. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that you would give us a crystal clear picture of what it looks like to follow you with our whole heart. That you would give us a crystal clear picture of what it looks like to be a man after your own heart and a man of God. And for the ladies in the room, Lord, I pray that they would get a crystal clear picture of what they should look for when looking for a man. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say it. Um, I am not uh, a man's man by, by worldly definition. Um, I don't have a tool set. When something's broken in my house, I just call somebody to fix it, okay? Like, I, I'm, I ain't got nothing to prove to you. Like, I, I'm not, I don't need to be this handyman to prove to you that I'm man. That, that's, not my, that's not my world. People always want to come to my house, I'm like, hey, man, let's grill up some burgers. Let's, let's, make, let's barbecue for the holidays. I'm like, we can't. They're like, why? I'm like, because I ain't got no grill. Like, you ain't got no grill. I'm like, we can pick up some barbecue. I'm really great at that, actually. Like, you just pick the place. I got it. My treat. Uh, uh, some people have places where they want a boy to prove his manhood. For some people, it's the wilderness. They're like, hey, man, let's go out into the wild and let's make some s'mores. I'm like, hey, man, why don't we just go to Cold Stone? <laughs> On me, man. Whatever you want. Your size large. You get as many scoops as you want. No judgment from me. Why, why we got to go out there? You know what happens to black people in the scary movies. I'm not, I'm not doing no s'mores, bruh. Nah, bruh, that's how it starts. I only got 10 minutes from that. You know how it goes. Um, so the, the place for me that, like, that I was the most comfortable where it was like I had to really become a man what was the basketball court. Sometimes that was inside, sometimes that was outdoors, but the people I played with were incredibly intimidating. You had to have an insane amount of spiritual, emotional, and physical strength to survive the environment that, that I grew up in because there were so many intimidating factors. Number one, they had really intimidating nicknames and I didn't. 
I walk on the court, hey, what's your name, man? My name is John, but my friends call me Headlock. I'm like, Headlock, my God. Headlock, what's your name? My name's Tyrone, but my friends call me Kingpin. Kingpin, that sounds dangerous. Like, like, what am I supposed to say? I got headlock, you guard kingpin. Like, how are we going to divvy up the defensive responsibility? Like, this is, this is getting a little bit scared. The, the second thing, like, the, the second thing that really intimidated me was the tattoos. Like, only thing I got on my skin is cocoa butter, okay? Like, I, I'm not going to be ashy. You're not going to catch me ashy in these streets, okay? Like, like, they got lions, tigers, bears, oh my, they got everything, okay? Like, these are, these are some killers. And, and, and you definitely don't want to mess with nobody that has a tattoo on their face, okay? Anybody that's got a tattoo on their face is a terrorist, okay? Like, I don't mess, I don't mess with anybody with a tattoo on their face. That's, that, is a, that is a man's man. And if the tattoo on their face are the, uh, the teardrops symbolizing the people they've murdered, okay? That ain't a guy you want to play defense on. I, I, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting the terrorist tattoo face guy, okay? I'm not, I'm not messing with him, okay? Like, like they, the fights would break out. I can't tell how many fights I broke it up at a gym. Like, people get crazy. And when people start fighting and arguing at the gym, they start puffing out their chest. And all of a sudden, when the argument escalates to a boiling point, somebody will say the following. Say something else and I'll pop the trunk on you, homie. Now, for those of you that don't understand what pop the trunk on you, homie, means, allow me to break that down for you. Um, that means that they have a weapon in their trunk. They're going to boop, 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 pop. They're going to pop the trunk. They're going to grab the gun and they're going to come back in the gym and shoot whoever says something else in the face. Okay? They're going to shoot him in the face and it's all going to be bad. The problem with that is... I can't compete with that trunk. The only thing in my trunk is a diaper bag and a stroller, okay? <laughs> what am I gonna do? Throw the stroller at them in, in the face? Like, well, like it, it's just too much. It's so intimidating. They want you to have certain shoes, gear, like, and if you're not wearing the right gear, they'll judge you, they'll make fun of you. So I just gave up on the basketball community. I said, you know what? I want to join a less judgmental community, and I found that in the swimming community. So, <laughs> so what I did, now, the swimming community welcomed me with open arms. They had never seen a black person before. <laughs> black people not known for being lifeguards, you know, like it's just not a, it's not a career path for most of them. So, so when I got there, they welcomed me with open arms. Hey, guys, we got a first-time visitor. And like nobody judged me. I can swim how I want to swim, wear whatever gear I want to wear. And it's not that black people can't swim. I don't want nobody judging people in here, okay? It's just that most people in my family cannot swim, so we don't go on cruises for vacations. We can hit an iceberg, and I'll be the only survivor. Listen, regardless of, of where you had to figure out where to be a man or, or where to be a grown-up, all of us on some level find ourselves in a room where we have to prove something to somebody else. For some of you, it was a lunchroom. For some of you, it was a classroom. For some of you, it's an office. For some of you, it was a living room. I mean, we, we all got a room where we felt a little bit of insecurity and we felt like we had to grow up a little bit too fast. My dad uh, had a stroke when I was in fifth grade and um, it disabled him for the last 20 years of his life. And all of a sudden, um, a little boy in fifth grade had to become a grown man pretty fast. Sometimes I just... My, my wife had to buy me a PS4. She goes, I need you to be a boy for, for a chance. <laughs> Just like, get your, get your boyhood back. What like, 
just relax. You don't have to take over the world today. Like you can just play a video game. You can be poor. I go, no, I got to be a man. I, I got to prove something to somebody. And, and the world we live in, we have been told that a true test of a man is how well he provides. So, so you, you won't think about seriously dating until you have a financial status and you have something in the bank account that is enough to provide. And it's not that you, you have to be able to provide enough for your future wife to be a stay-at-home wife, but you at least have to give her the option. That's the pressure. So now you got to make six figures, and, and, and all of a sudden there is this definition and some measurement and some pressure on men to be providers, 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 and then... Men who get married, they, they figure, well, yeah, that is my job, to provide. What if I told you that your job as a man of God is not to just provide financially, but to provide spiritually? What would you do if I told you that the best investment that you could give a future family has nothing to do with money at all? Can I tell you something? When my dad had a stroke in fifth grade, he lost his ability to earn income forever. But what he gave me was something so much more. Something, something that money couldn't ever buy. For some of you, you've got to change your definition of what it means to be a man. And begin to look at your life and look at your soul through the lens of the Bible and look at men of God and go, okay, what are some of the characteristics about these men? that made them kings, that are going to make me who I am. The interesting thing about David and Bathsheba is that actually where we started isn't the first verse of the story. The first verse of the story starts like this. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. The only reason David even saw Bathsheba was because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. If David was just doing his kingly duties of just being a warrior, because that's what David was known for. It's David and Goliath. He is the ultimate fighter. But on this day, he decided, you know what? At a time when kings go to battle, he found himself chilling on a couch. And then one moment led to another where he finds himself on his roof. I've actually been to, to David's palace in Jerusalem. And the way the city is set up, it's almost set up similar to San Francisco where it's very hilly. He could see everybody's roof. And apparently Bathsheba was bawling because she had a hot tub on the roof. Hot. That's cool. <laughs> but he, he, he simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I, can I tell you, part of being a man of God is simply having guardrails. Simply having guardrails to just say, you know what? I've got to put some things in place in light of my weakness. I've got to put some accountability in place so that I can't do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. But you got to put up some guardrails. I mean, you, you, you've got to be so self-aware about your weaknesses. And if you're not self-aware about your weaknesses, ask your best friend. Hopefully they'll be a good friend and tell you. But you, you, you've just got to be, you've got, part of it isn't being this man of God, isn't just, man, I'm just going to be strong. Part of it is being smart. 
Part of it is, is using wisdom and being where you're supposed to be. So if it's midnight and you're hanging with this girl, it's like, well, Ryan, where am I supposed to be? Sleep. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, well, like, like, you need another option? Go to bed, okay? Take a sleeping pill. Knock out. Because real talk, real talk, we all know that everybody gets more attractive after midnight. Everybody. Somebody you don't think look good at all at 3 p.m. or about 3 a.m., you'd be like, you know what, they ain't bad. They ain't bad. You just start thinking crazy stuff. And then, heaven forbid, you had a little alcohol. Now, they, look, they, they, they banging now. Now you're like, man, they're the, they the finest thing I ever seen in my life. You intoxicate. Ultimately, um, I love uh, what John Mayer uh, tweeted a couple days ago. He said, um, it's been a year since I gave up drinking. He goes, it's a personal decision for everybody, but it's an investment in myself that I never regret. Ultimately, you've got to begin as a man of God to, to be able to look at some of the things in your life that have caused you the most pain and ask yourself, what are the common denominators? If alcohol was the common denominator of your worst decisions that have brought you the most pain, why not give that to God? It's not that alcohol is bad. It's not that, oh, you shouldn't be drinking. But maybe for you, you shouldn't because it's the common denominator of your kryptonite. Let it go. Let it go. What guardrail do you need to put up to go, you know what, man, I'm not going to hang out with the opposite sex past 10 o'clock. For some of you, it might need to be 730. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where, where you're at, but... For you, you've got to set up some guardrails and tell somebody else, here are my guardrails. Here, ladies too, guardrails. If you are talking with a man that has no boundaries, you're already in trouble. Men of God put up some boundaries. They get some accountability. They get some friends and say, hey, help me. Help me see what I can't see. Now, Bathsheba sends David this text message and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Now, what, what's, what's interesting is that this adultery um, actually ends up turning into murder. And David ends up killing Bathsheba's husband. And, and he, he, not, he, he took her to be his wife and, because he has to. He's a king. And, and then they have a baby. And his name is Solomon. And Solomon uh, is recorded in the Bible uh, as the wisest man to ever live. And let me tell you why that's good news. Uh, because some of you uh, have some mistakes and you kind of have your, your resume of sins that you go, man, this is why I can never be. This, I'll never. And you fill in the blank. But isn't it amazing that God took a negative situation and adultery and murder and brought about the wisest man we've ever known? We wouldn't have Proverbs if we didn't have that. Why is that good news? It means God can turn anything around in your life. You might be visiting here. You might not even be a Christian. You go, man, I, my life's a mess, man. You don't know. I, I can never be what you're describing. Yeah, you can. Be because God redeems. It's, it's the beauty of the gospel. And, and so, so Bathsheba and David have this son, Solomon. And it's interesting. Uh, Proverbs 31, the header on most of our Bibles says, um, the words from King Lemuel's mother. King Lemuel's mother. Well, the funny thing is, is a, a lot of scholars actually believe that Lemuel 
was a nickname for Solomon given to him by his mother. And his mother is Bathsheba. So Proverbs 31, the first nine verses, is if I could bring the most famous side piece mistress ever on the stage, and if I could interview her and say, talk to the young adult men at Red Rocks Church, Proverbs 31 is what she would say. Proverbs 31 is what she would say. And, 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 and some people have gone, man, we want to see Proverbs 31 women. I say, I think we need Proverbs 31 men. Um, here's what Proverbs 31 says. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. She says, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Ultimately, Bathsheba, and leave that up there, ultimately Bathsheba's gone. She's seeing something in her son that she sees in her husband, David. A weakness for women. This is what got your dad in trouble. This is what's going to get you in trouble. This, this is what destroys legacies. This is what destroys kings. Don't give your strength to women. Come on, son, what are you, what, what are you doing? It, it is not for kings, old mule. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and give wine to those in, in bitter distress. This is not a passage about is drinking bad or wrong. This is about, um, in their culture, um, wine was a, a sign of honor that you showed to other people. And so Bathsheba's telling her son, hey, don't use your authority. Don't use your wealth. Don't use your influence. Don't use your royalty for you. Use it to help other people. Man of God, you want to be a man of God? Help other people. L leverage every resource. Leverage every ounce of influence that you have at your job. Leverage your leadership. Leverage your gift to help other people. In fact, ladies, if I'm you, I am not looking at how he treats you when he wants to get with you. Look at how he treats your friends. And then look at how he treats his friends. How does he treat other people? And then Bathsheba continues and says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. She's going, you're... You're a king, open up your mouth and help some people that can't help themselves. Uh, dare I use a word that perhaps has become strange in Christendom, in Christianity. Um, what if we call men of God to begin to prophesy? Uh, 
prophesying um, got a weird connotation, especially in the 90s and early 2000s as the thing that weird people do. And it's, it's about fortune telling and ooh, I see your future. And then um, a girl will go to a guy and go, hey, I got a prophetic word, you're my husband. No. <laughs> and so it, it kind of, it became a weird thing instead of a gift that God gives to men and women of God to go, you know what? In dark times, I'm going to use my voice to declare some things scripturally about the future. To say, you know what? I realize that there, there are horrible things going on in our country. But I am going to decide to use my voice to prophesy over some people's destiny. That's what men of God do. That's what kings do. And say, hey, I'm going to use my voice to help people that can't help themselves. I had a girl the other day come to me and my wife, and she's just struggling, and she's just telling me about abuse and addictions, and she's like, I'll never be worthy. I'll never be worthy of a man of God. I'll never be worthy of a great marriage. I'll never be. And, and something rose up on the inside of me. I go, oh, I, I think I need to prophesy some things over you. I think I need to make a, a scriptural declaration over your life and perhaps fix some of the brokenness that exists in your heart. So I'm going to begin to declare some things over you. Listen, uh, I know you've been through some things, but can, can I just show you what the Bible says? I, I, just, I just believe that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I believe that there's some things that you haven't earned, but yet God will still call you daughter. I just, I, I, again, and I asked her the same question I started with. Do you have one positive male, one positive man of God in your life? She said, they've all left. I said, listen, I'm not going to make you any promises that I can't keep. I'm not going to say, I'm, I can be that guy. I can be that pastor. I can be. But hey, here's the deal. I, I'm, how about we set up some girls? She goes, I keep, I keep attracting the wrong guy, and I just don't. I go, from now on, tell every guy they got to call me before they can take you up. <laughs> She's like, you would do that for me? I go, yeah. Will you do that for yourself? How much do you value you? Can you not see how much God values you? Can you not see how he has set up all of this for you? Can I just make a declaration over your life that maybe this stuff in the past that has caused you to believe that you are unworthy, can I tell you that you're worthy, but not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done? Worthy. Undeserving, yeah, but now deserving. It's, it's the kingdom. It just worked. Can you imagine if you became a person that just stood up for people? When somebody's being picked on, when somebody's being talked about, when, when things are being talked about at work, you decide, I'm going to be a change agent. Why? Because I'm royalty. I'm a king. And this is, so why don't, when everyone is going, man, our country, can you believe our country? Man, can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe? Did you see this on the news? I had people calling me like, can you believe what happened in Charlottesville? Look at our country. You ain't never even heard of Charlottesville before. <laughs> and now it concludes our entire country? Nah, man. I'm going to look at Houston, and I see people getting other people's backs that don't even know each other, okay, that don't have the same religion, that are getting in boats and helping people. Re How come that can't be our country? So, so before we just... Start making these declarations about how bad it is. I'm just going to be a person that rises up and says, 
man, I think I see some good on the horizon. I think that there's some people in Denver that care about people. I think there's this great church out there. Why does it, why does it all have to be negative? You get to be the change agent. Why? Because you're a man of God and you're able to do so. And to use your voice to help other people, to use your voice to bring hope to somebody that has none, to use your voice to bring faith to somebody who's really disappointed with God. And you get to be the man of God that says, I know that you might not believe right now, but I'll loan you my faith for a moment. I'll loan it to you. I I got your back. That's what men of God do. And this last verse, it's interesting about Solomon. It's found in 1 Kings. And the Bible says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Bathsheba saw this in her son. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, City, I mean, he is is killing it game right now. Um, (laughs) From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. This isn't a a, a racial division. This is a spiritual division. And then the Bible says that Solomon clung to these in love. And he was so in love with all these foreign women, he went gusto. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Now, here's the deal. Um, a concubine is somebody that's, that's, that's just there for playtime. And um, in 700 wives, I got one. And tr- trying to manage 700 is something that I'm not sure any man is made to do. Yet Solomon, I'm like, dude, there's 365 days in a year. You ain't seen your first wife in like four years. You know she mad. So... <laughs> Like, how, like, how did you ever leave the house? You, there's no way you're going to hang out with the fellas tonight. Like, one of them going to be mad. Promise you. Like, yet, he's got a thousand women that will answer his beck and call that are ready to serve him in any way to give him pleasure, you know, however he wants. Yet, none of them are the right woman. In fact, all of them are poisoned to his destiny. Times a thousand. I want to show you tonight, man of God, that there, there might be some secret sin, some deception, something that you've, you've been hiding and you think you've got it under control. You don't. What started off is just like, man, I just, I kind of like foreign women. I'm just kind of into the, to the non-Jew thing. I'm just kind of the wisest man that ever lived is making a really, really bad decision. Even the wisest man that ever lived has got a kryptonite. And then he went gusto. But God doesn't tell him, hey, don't, don't marry these people because it's wrong. He's going, don't marry these people because they're going to break your heart. And they're going to steer your heart towards idols that can do nothing for you. And I don't want that to happen to you. And the Bible says this. It says, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, 
his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. The, the difference, men of God, between David and Solomon is that while David made mistakes, his heart still was holy God. For Solomon, he went down a path where he allowed a thousand women to steer his heart away from the Lord. And I wonder how many men are in the building tonight with their heart turned. And, and just, just so we're on the same page, an and idol is anything that you end up bowing to. Anything that you go, I don't know how to stop doing it. I just find myself bowing to it over and over and over and over again. Some of you tonight need to give your whole heart back to God. Some of you tonight came here to get a whole heart. You see, when you don't have a whole heart, you keep trying to fill your heart with things you think will make it whole. He ended up with a thousand wives. I think he just kept trying going, well, maybe she. No, 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 I got it. She, no, I'm going to try from a different country. No, no. Well, maybe if I'm not married to them, then maybe that will. And just by sheer numbers, it took him four years. Just by sheer numbers, he's gone. How long is it going to take you before you realize that the things that you've been chasing cannot fill the satisfaction of your soul? How long is it going to take you for, for you to go, I need my whole heart, and I can't allow the things of this world to steer it away? Ladies, is there something that you've been clinging to that has allowed your heart to be steered in another direction? Is there, is there something that you've been paying attention to that controls your decisions, that controls what you wear, that controls how you talk about other people, and before you know it, it has slowly steered your heart away from what matters most? Ladies and gentlemen, to get your whole heart back is pretty simple. Surrender. Whatever it is that has your attention the most, whatever it is that has your heart the most, give it to Jesus. I promise you those idols can't do anything for you. And you know you've tried. And it leaves you just as empty as you were before you started. Tonight, uh, what I love about Red Rocks Church is that we always end with worship. And I can't think of a better way for a man of God to, to go down that path of becoming the man that God has called him to be than to spend some time going, Lord, whatever it is, you can have it. It may be a relationship. Is it worth your whole future? Is it worth your whole heart? I would say no. If I'm you, I, I position myself tonight to go, Lord, 
It's all yours. Go ahead and stand to your feet. As we go back into worship, I just, um, I, I want to pray for everybody, not just the men. I, I pray that tonight that there would be nothing in your world that distracts you from being exactly who God has called you to be. And then in these next few moments, you don't just lift your hands because it's the thing to do. I want you to visualize whatever it is and surrender it and say, Lord, I, I really would love to live my life with a whole heart. When the Bible says, love the Lord with all your heart, some of you can't because it's so broken. It's in so many pieces. Can you imagine if you just began to surrender those broken pieces and go, Lord, can you just can you do something with the mess that I've made? Can you make me into the person you want me to be regardless of, of what I haven't had a front row seat to seeing? May, may I live a life for people that are coming behind me that they see what a man of God truly looks like. Father, I thank you so much for every young adult here tonight. And God, I pray that we would surrender everything to you. I pray, God, that our heart would be truly yours like, like David's, regardless of the mistakes that we make. I, I pray, God, that we would circle back to where our heart is. And it's okay to make mistakes, but God, I just pray that you would have our whole heart tonight. Because that's what it truly means to be a man. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said.